was about a year ago, uh, I think it was about a year ago, I was having, all my kids were home, I have four children, they're adults now, they're all growing up, and we were having one of our week's living room theological discussions. When you're a pastor, you always have these deep theological discussions with your children, and the question came up, if, if you had a superhero power, what would it be? You know, a deep theological discussion. And my oldest son, Joseph, said it would be fun to be the Hulk, you know, where he takes Loki by the legs and just smashes him. That would be a lot of fun. My son, Gio, said, I'd like to fly, just to fly, supersonic speed. Jasmine, my youngest, said something about she would like to have invisibility so when people gossip about her, she'd be able to know. But then Ginger, my oldest daughter, said something very interesting. She said, I'd like a superhero power. It's not a normal superhero power. But here's what I'd like. I would like the ability to know when somebody's telling me the truth and when somebody's lying to me. I would like when I'm watching the news to know if they are flat out lying to me, like is the vaccine real, is the votes real, is Joe Biden real, you know, all of that stuff, the conspiracy stuff. I want to know the truth. Tell me the truth. And I said, Ginger, that's the exact reason I went into the ministry. I have a deep, I had this deep desire, not, not for political reasons, but more, I want to know if God is real, how do I know Him, and how do I know I am going to be His forever? That's why I'm still in ministry. Because I have this deep desire to know that I know. Here's a picture of my dog and I. He always used to like to know too. You know, he'd read my books with me. But this is a fancy word for this. It's called epistemology. Epistemology is the study of knowing. How you can know that you know. And for me, growing up, I had a bunch of religious leaders that always were giving me confusing messages. I had a nun that once told me she was Cleopatra, reincarnated. I'm not kidding you. And you probably heard the story where I was with this priest and we were talking about hell and he said, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, he did. He really did. I, have, I had an aunt who was stuck in a wheelchair, and she flew all the way to Yugoslavia, a city called Magadori, so she could get some holy water, because she believed that holy water, if she poured it on her, she'd be able to leap up out of that wheelchair. She flew all the way over there, got the holy water, poured it on herself, and nothing happened. And I had a grandmother that, took up all of her money. They moved to Wisconsin to go to this little group of people because some lady supposedly spoke from the Virgin Mary. I want to know. I want to know God and I want to know how I can know God. I want to know that I know. You know what I mean? Like to really know. Because this world's confusing. We live in a Media circus that everybody's telling you something, this group's telling you something, it's always for a purpose. Everybody's lying to you. I just read this book the other day, and the premise was really interesting. There's this group of people in Chicago, and they are movers and shakers, and one Sunday afternoon, they're sitting at a round table, a big round table, and as they're sitting at this round table, they were discussing everything from politics to money, one was a rich newspaper owner, one was a broker, one was an actress, and they had 12 people. 
And one guy stood up and said, let's, let's talk about serious things. Because if we could figure out the serious things, we might be able to change the world. Let's quit talking about stupid things. So the guy said, what do you think about God and angels? And everybody got quiet. Because this isn't the place you talk about it. And then this very hoity-toity pastor said, you know, if you'd like to talk about deep things, come to my office later. But in public... I was, it's t I was told that you never discuss politics and religion in public. It's just out of place. And this guy that was there was this new believer. and He was a tough stockbroker. And he said, wait a minute. I know Jesus said something about take the gospel and the highways and the byways to the rich, to the poor, preach the Bible in season and out of season. Let's talk about it. And everybody got quiet. And it was, an interesting, it was an interesting scene, and I was thinking, I would love to form my own roundtable discussion with the people in the know, the movers and the shakers in our world. And so I was thinking, what if I got together a group of 12 people who are really popular, really cool, because cool is what people want to be these days, rich, and have real social credibility. So I put together this group that I... Imagine sitting at this table, and I'd love to throw out these questions to them. Does it matter what someone believes, like really deep down believes? And what is needed to touch the eternal, or the real God, the one that really exists? So here's my group that I put together. I'd like to have, who's super popular? Well, of course, Kim Kardashian. She has 342 million followers. The Rock, he has 360 million, so that's my first two. Then you got to get somebody that's really good with conversation. So I was thinking, Whoopi Goldberg from The View. Put her on that group. She has done the host of The View for 16 years, so she could really figure this stuff out, you know? And Snoop Dogg, because he's cool. Put him on there. He's on a lot of commercials. Then we need to have somebody who is really politically savvy, who knows their politics. So, of course, Hillary Clinton's got to go on that group. And then we got to put Bob Iger, the head of, of Disney, on there. He is an entertainment mogul. He runs it all from, you know, the Lucasfilms to the MCU. Let's put him on there. And then let's put Taylor Swift on there because everybody loves her music, both young and old. Joni, I know you even know. You know Taylor Swift. Luke, does your mom know Taylor Swift? See, he said yes. All right, so we'll have Taylor Swift, but we got to even her out, and we're from Kent City, so let's, let's put George Strait on there. That would straighten her out a little bit. And then let's get Elon Musk, because he, of course, he's the Twitter guru. He's changed the world. And then you got to have science himself, Anthony Fauci, on that group. And then we have to bridge the gap from man to woman, somebody who represents all spheres, so let's put Dylan Mulvaney on that group. So we have all this group. And if we asked them this question, what do you think they would say? Oh, oh, well, your truth is your truth and mine's mine. You know that's what they'd say. They'd say, oh, we have to tolerate all opinions because they surely wouldn't want to mess up their social cred. They surely wouldn't want to lose influence, so you really can't come down. What is needed to believe, to touch the eternal? They'd probably say something like, Whatever you want. So there is one more seat that is open. And I think I would like to put my wild card in there. And I have a wild card. A guy I think that would blow this table up where he would shut them all down and they would not know what to say. 
And this guy's name is John the Apostle. The one that was on the inside disciple of Jesus. And I know exactly what he'd say to a confusing world because it's in a book in the Bible called 1 John. If you can turn to 1 John, this book is written to a world that is messed up, who is broken, confused, and wanting answers because the theme of 1 John is to know. He says that over 30 times, to know, I know. I'm certain. I know. I know. And so I went around the pastoral staff say, what do you want to teach after Easter? And they said, what do you want, Chris? And I said, I know what I want. First John. Because this book is amazing. So if you can open up there, we're just going to do the introduction today. We're going to read through First John for the next two and a half months. If you need a Bible and an IV, there's one in the back. But 1 John is a book all about knowing, and today we're just going to talk about how Jesus, the light, is shining in the darkness. And in fact, the reason the theme of this series is going to be walk in the light, because in John, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So let's begin with the first four verses of 1 John. says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So this is the introduction to the book. I just want to give um, just three insights on this book, an overview. It was written by John. He was about 80 years old at the time. That means he was 50 years removed from the resurrection. I'm thinking in that time, the church became basically kind of a common thing. It was spread all across Europe and Asia. Paul already planted his churches. And he's writing to a group of people that were, uh, they're getting a little bit bored with the message. And what's happening is there's a group of them that's leaving the church and following new teachings, new heresies. They were more enlightened than those people in the church. In chapter 2, you're going to see that they left and they're trying to persuade other people to leave. The third thing we can say about 1 John is one of the heresies that was really starting to take root is this idea of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is special knowledge. Only a few get the special knowledge. And Gnosticism is... It's a very pernicious teaching, and it's even in our, the roots of America right now. Let me explain it to you. You guys all know what Gnosticism is, even though you're like, Gnosticism, what's that? So let's say a baby's born, and his X chromosomes say he's a boy, and he grows up, and he feels he's like a girl. 
Biologically, we call that his sex. He is, by biology, a male. Now we have this cool new term called gender, but he feels like a female. What this is called is Gnosticism. Gnosticism separates the material, saying the material can, you know what, it's not that important, but the spiritual, the soul, how I feel is the real thing. So Gnostics would get this vision, and if they got this vision and new insight, they now knew more than people who would make objective claims, like Jesus died, rose again, and we saw him on the third day. Okay, that's fine for you, but I know God. How do you know God? Because I just have special knowledge. It's the same way, how do you know you're a girl? It's not my biology. It's just I know. I feel it. That's Gnosticism. We're so used to that, it's crazy. How do you know you know God? Because I cried when I sang a song. Is that really how you know you know God? Is there some objective things you believe? And so what John's going to go through is John is basically going to say the objective truth is what gives Basically, it's like a tree. A tree needs bark and it needs branches to contain the sap that gives it life. The material is just as important as the spiritual. Gnosticism likes to separate it. And this is what was going through the church at that time. So what John is going to say is we can know that we know starting with objective truth. Because the world that is lost objective has nothing but confusion. And so today we're just going to talk about the objective reality of how God is shining or showing himself to the world. Everybody is equal access. It's not this spiritual special knowledge. You're not this special part of the group. Everybody is equal access to God because the light has shined in the darkness and there's five, five stages of his shining that's for all. This is how he shines in the world, but this is how he shines in every human heart. And this, this means of shining is available to everybody, not to special people, but to everybody. That's why God says there's no favorites in his world. So the first stage of God shining starts in verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning. That's a statement of eternality. God eternally pre-existed before anything was made. Moses said, tell me, God, what is your name? He's at the burning bush. Tell me your name so I can go tell the Israelites. He said, I am that I am. That's his name, which we translate to Jehovah. The I am that I am means I have always been and always will be. He's eternal. And in his eternality, he's perfect. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelled in perfection. They don't need you and me to complete them. They're already complete. They made us because they wanted to. They're not lacking anything, but they wanted to share their love, so they made you and me. So he pre-existed in eternity. And if you notice in verse 1, it says, that which was from the beginning. That phrase, from the beginning, hints back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God. That also then jumps to John, the book of John. So John, who wrote 1 John, he wrote the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. In the book of John, John was his account of the life of Jesus. 
And it talked about the theology of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John starts off like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made by Him. So this is hearkening back to Genesis 1 and John. He's eternal. He's eternal. And then He's going to be known as light. And being being light, it means that He is the source of both life and truth. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning, and then look at that phrase, the word of life. So that which was from the beginning, that is the word of life. That is the word of life. That phrase, word of life, identifies the source. He is both the word and he's both life. The word means he's the expression of God. You want to know God? God spoke the word in his son. He is God in skin. So you want to know truth? Look at the son. So the word means he is the truth, and then the word of life means he is the source of everything. In fact, Colossians 1 says this word holds all things together. He created all things, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's the word of life. So who is this source? It's a person. It's a person. Look how it goes. It says, that which was from the beginning, and at the end of verse 1, this we proclaim to you of the word of life. So he's the source. Then it says the life appeared. Okay, so the word of life appeared. That means he made himself physically, objectively known, which we're going to talk about in a second. You could see him and you could touch him. So he appeared, we have seen and testified to, we proclaimed you the eternal life, and then it gives a little more detail. This eternal life, this person, was with the Father. Oh, so he had a relationship with the Father. Then in verse 3, he goes a little bit more specific. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, the, so that which was from the beginning is the word of life. The word of life was with the Father, and the one that was with the Father is the Son. The Son is Jesus the Christ. So when we talk about God, if somebody says, do you believe in God? If somebody says, yes, I believe in God, that's easy to do. But you know what's hard to do? I believe in Jesus Christ. Ooh, people don't like that because it's very specific. But John is saying, so if John's in this table with 12, the first thing he'd say is, hey, all you guys, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through Him. Because He is how God has communicated to the world. He eternally existed. That's stage one. Stage two is He came into the world in history so He can be objectively known. He came in material flesh. It's called the incarnation. When He became a baby in Bethlehem, He did that so we could know him. And it happened in three stages. First, God spoke about it through the prophets. He used the Old Testament to prepare people for his coming. And you could hear it. Then Jesus appeared in the incarnation. So you could see him. You could see how God 
acted towards people, how he felt towards the world, how he wanted to heal, he wanted to love. He saw God in the flesh. That's what incarnation means. And then the Holy Spirit is sent by God to touch the truth of God. Jesus often would say, it's better for me to go so the Holy Spirit can be sent to you because the Holy Spirit dwells in human hearts and that's when you understand. But God has revealed himself like this to everybody. But let me, but the way that this is written, heard, seen, touched. So you have eternal comes down to my level. And the phrasing of heard, seen, touched is meant God has made himself known by getting closer and closer. It's called revelation. God had to make himself known first if we were ever going to know him. So you can say it like this. Let's say, there's Chris Gonzalez. Wave your hand, Chris, right there. Chris Gonzalez. Chris Gonzalez has come to our church because he heard there's this really cool pastor named Chris Weeks. He's never seen him. He's only heard him. Chris has come because his parents invited him. So he comes, and I'm back here talking. He's heard of me, and he hears my voice. And so he's a little curious, so then I walk through the door and he now sees me. So he sees me, so I'm a little bit more present. So as I get more present, I walk up to Chris. Not only heard me, he's seen me, but now I hug Chris and he touched me. And I can slug him and he really knows me now. That's how God has come to you and he comes to all people in the same way. Let me kind of break it down for you like this. So the first word, heard. So heard has this idea that God has spoken, and if, I didn't, if he didn't speak, I would never have known him. That's called revelation. You could say it like this. If a tree falls in the forest, did it make a noise? No, because you didn't hear it, right? If you weren't there, who cares if there's a noise? You have to hear something to know of its existence. So God spoke, and he's given us his word, so we can then examine it, think about it, and the hope is that we will believe. So the purpose of speaking is to give us a choice to believe. Once we believe, we, our eyes are open we start seeing the truth. When you hear the word of God and you believe it, it starts opening the world to you. But he starts showing us his promises and his commands. And he asks you to trust. Step out, obey. When you start obeying his commands, you start to understand. Oh, I don't just believe, but I start to understand his way of life. Once I start obeying, it's sort of like here's a promise and it's got a doorknob. If you open up that door, you won't believe it. If I don't want to open up that door, I'll never get to see this world. Once I open up that door and I enter, oh, it's amazing. Then when I enter that world, I start touching the reality of God and it's through the Holy Spirit. It's called illumination. He opens up my mind, my heart, and he gives me comfort and strength and joy and peace and goodness and kindness. And once the Holy Spirit pours out his mercy and grace, now I know. Now I know. If I offer you honey, and I say, honey is really sweet. If you know Esther Spolstra, how much honey have you had in your life? It's sweet, isn't it? She will give you this container of honey. Do you want it? You first have to say, all right, I'll take it. Then she says, open the top to get it. So, all right, I believe you. So I open up the top. And then you put your hand in there. And then when you taste it, 
Now I know it's sweet. You first have to believe, then obey, and then the Spirit of God's poured out of you, and then you know. And what I would say is this. When you taste, you know, and those who don't know probably have never tasted because they probably have never believed. So do you know? Because once you taste, you'll see that the Lord is good. Really good. Which is, leads to the third way of shining. So once you know, you got to go and tell. It's not show and tell. First know and then tell. Look at verse 2. John writes, the life appeared, the life appeared, so Jesus came out, they saw all the miracles, the life appeared, we've seen it. You know what John got to see? He got to see, he got to see the sea, when he was on the the Sea of Galilee, he saw a storm be quieted by Jesus, by just the word. He was able to taste the bread that was multiplied. He was able to see the dead raised. They were going to a funeral. The widow of Nain had this boy they're carrying on on a coffin. Jesus comes to the funeral, touches the coffin, and the boy jumps out of the coffin. Wouldn't that be, Jesus brings the fun to the funeral. Wouldn't that be incredible? John saw that. John was in the Garden of Gethsemane. John was the one who saw Jesus breathe his last, and Mary came into his, his life. And so he's saying here, The life appeared, we've seen it. And because we have seen it, we testify to it. It means we're telling you the truth. He has to, because witnesses are responsible. God shows you, not just for you, God shows you so you can show and tell. You know so you can go. And it's very important. You're responsible. And so he says here, verse 2, the life appeared, we, who is weeds? Most scholars, so you're going to see in this book, we, you, us, but in this case, most scholars say we means the apostles. The apostles were chosen to see and witness Christ so they could go and tell. I also believe once you know you have been chosen to go tell. That's your job. That's how information is spread. That's how the light shines. That's how the light shines. So you can look at it like this. I think the problem with most of us, not just in the church, but in the world, is there's a, there's a curse that has gone on in the world, and I call it cool indifference. People just don't care about their neighbors these days. So they don't care about telling them what's good for them because they are worried that they won't be liked. So if I'm at a movie theater... And maybe there's a hundred people there and there's a movie going on and I get up and I go to get some popcorn and while I'm getting popcorn I see a grease fire catch on fire and it's starting to spread down into the theater. I have a moral obligation, don't I, to run in there and tell everybody there's fire? Cool indifference said, I'm just going to walk out and go home and let everybody burn. That's What's wrong with you? If you know God... Don't you think you have an obligation to tell people about him? Because when he comes back, it's going to be bad. But there's another side of this. Let's say I go to the back with my friend, 
and there is no fire, but yet I go into the movie theater and I cry, fire! My friend now has an obligation to go in and say, he's not telling you the truth, settle down, it's not that big a deal. We live in a day and age where we have all these cool agnostic and atheist people that just say, I know God doesn't exist. Don't you have an obligation to convince us? No, I'm above the fray, I'm just cool and indifferent. There's this weird stage of independence where people who like to be above everybody else. Oh, I don't need the church. Yeah, but are you, so you're going to let people in the church believe lies? Well, if they want to. Why? They're killing themselves if they are. Cool indifference is not, it's not courage. If you have been given the truth, now that Jesus has come, Nobody has an excuse either before or against him. There's no, cool, there's no middle road with Jesus. He's divided, come to divide. You've got to stand somewhere. We don't believe something. We don't believe something to be popular, to be cool, to get more likes, or to be better than other people. We don't believe something for those reasons. We believe because we've heard and we've seen and we know. Because we know, we have to tell. Which goes to the fourth one, because once we tell, people will start hearing and receiving and believing, and they will start joining and belonging. And there will be what's called a shared reality of the light. It's kind of like last Good Friday when you would take those candles and you'd pass the light and then not only does one person have a light, but everybody has a light and now this room gets bright because everybody has a light. That's what God wants with the world. It's called fellowship. See, look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. And so we proclaim it to you so that, so that you also may have fellowship with us. That phrase fellowship means a sharing in the life of God. Fellowship does not mean having a potluck and eating pasta together or just golfing and putting on the green together. Fellowship means sharing the life of God with another. To set that fire in your heart aflame in somebody else's heart. Because when you do, when you do it magnifies the light which means it glorifies God. Glory means God has seen greater than he was before. The second thing about fellowship is it warms the heart. Not just your heart, but my heart. Actually, here's what fellowship does. When people of the same faith gather together and they start sharing, encouraging, and praying for one another, really in the heart of each believer, they're like saying, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe the world out there that mocks my faith Maybe they're wrong. That's what encouraging means. Encourage one another as you see the day approaching, Hebrews says. And the third thing is that it, it, it's, it makes a bonfire of praise to God. It's all God wants is His children together to praise His name. And when we praise His name together, it's kind of like a bonfire. It's hot coals. And when coals are closer, they grow hotter. Satan comes and takes coals to isolate them because when he can isolate a coal from the fire, 
if he can pull a coal away from the fire, and this is really what John's writing about in 1 John, if Satan can isolate a person, not only does it chill them, but it kills them. Isolation chills and kills. That's why COVID was so nasty. It isolated everybody. When you're isolated, you basically say, nobody cares about me. Maybe I'm crazy to believe this book. Because everything I see on social media, that table of 12, they're all saying this different things than I believe. Maybe they're right. Because they have 300 followers. And they're always on the news. So maybe they're right. Which leads to stage five. Stage five is the reason John wrote it is so you will have joy. Look at uh, verse four. We write this. We write this to make our joy, in some versions say, your joy complete. Stage five is satisfaction. I'm satisfied. It's, um, I was thinking through this, it's very interesting. If you look at both verse 3 and verse 4, we live in a day of information and who do we trust? Because people tell us things for their benefit. So like people on TV, did you know people on TV are saying stuff not necessarily for the viewer but for themselves so you'll watch them more? Or so you'll give them more votes or more likes? Did you know a lot of times politicians don't necessarily say the truth? They say what will get them votes so they get more money. Did you know that? So, the, so, so that's why we can't trust anybody. But why is he writing this? He's writing this for your fellowship and your joy. He's an 80-year-old man who's ready to die. And all he wants to do is care for those he loves. In fact, in chapter 2... He's going to call people in the church his children. In chapter 3, he's going to call them my friends. So he's saying, I'm writing this not because I want to make an argument and prove anything. I'm writing this because I'm a pastor. And I'm writing this because I want your joy to be complete. If somebody is for you and your joy, don't you think you can trust them? Like to me, the motives for why John writes should cause us to want to throw our hat in his ring. Trust the man who wants your joy. One writer said the duty of pastors is to follow John's example by warning those they love and building them up in truth because false teachers out there are, are lying to you to destroy you. To destroy you. So the way, basically, the light shines, and he shines this way on everybody, is God always existed. But he wanted you to know him, so he gave you his word so you could hear it. He walked closer in the sun so you could see what he's like. And then through the Spirit of God, he touches you through illumination so you can know. Then when you know, he wants you to go. Go and tell because the more you get, the greater the bonfire of praise will be to God and the greater the joy. The greater your joy and your satisfaction. I was reading um, about two months ago, a new song came out by a band by the name of Linkin Park. You, may, you might have heard of Linkin Park. Linkin Park's 
a uh, kind of a cool new metal rock punk band that came out in 2000. They sold over hundreds of millions of records. And they, um, they're, they're kind of a fringe group, very intelligent, but they would always capture these listeners that were cool, kind of the people that were more of independent, more, you know, um, they, they were the thinkers. You know? And the, one of the main singers and writers is a guy by the name of Chester Bennington. Well, what's interesting about this song that just came out in February, it was released or it was produced in 2007. But what's even more interesting is the man who wrote it, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park, committed suicide in 2017. He killed himself at the age of 41. He hung himself. This cool singer. And this song has come out, so all these Lincoln Park people are really excited about hearing his voice one last time. I'll tell you about the name of the song in a second, but I was doing some research on it. And uh, this Chester Bennington had one song as one of their fa most famous songs called Somewhere I Belong. And one of the lyrics says this, I want to heal, I want to feel, because what I found is never real. He's looking for something. So when he uh, took his life a few years before that, they interviewed him about his faith in religion. And as Chester Bennington said, I don't follow any particular one. Ultimately, I think I'm sort of a free thinker. I'm open to everything. But there's so many bad things that are based on people just blindly following religion that I kind of want to stay away from any type of specific domination or religion, period. I want to keep my mind open. This was a few years before he hung himself. This song that just came out in February, the title of it is called Lost. L-O-S-T. Here's some of his lyrics. Just a scar somewhere down inside of me, something I cannot repair. I pretend it isn't there. Because when I'm alone, living behind my own illusion, Living inside my own confusion, I'm tired, I'm always afraid of the damage I've received. Then he says, I try to keep this pain inside, but I will never be alright. I'm lost, I try to keep this pain inside, but I'll never be alright. I'm living behind my own illusion. And then the last line of the last song that Linkin Park put out said this, I'm living inside my own confusion. To me, 1 John was written for exactly the opposite reason. Not so we could just be open-minded and just whatever we want, so we could have certainty. So we can know that we know. Because when you have certainty, you gain conviction. When you have conviction, you have strength. And strength is what leads to a life of joy. My question for you is, do you have joy? Or are you confused about what is true and who's telling me the truth and who can I trust? Are you confused? Because I'm telling you, you can trust John and he is going to tell you things so you can know that you know that you know God. Come back, because we're going to go through this for the next couple months. And especially if you are going to ask questions, I'm going to try to bring up answers for you. And I think this is a book you need to wrestle with.
But before that, I would say you have to wrestle with this. I think every person on this earth, at one time in their life, they have to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? And did he actually exist? If you have never wrestled with that, and you're confused, to me that's your fault. 